Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Rushers come, going to throw it as far as his arm can take it, which is well short. And the Kansas City Chiefs have won Super Bowl 57. That was pretty amazing. It was kind of a lackluster finish like you expected, but end on like a score. You never wanted to end on like a field goal or something. It's like right down the middle of the field. But I mean, it was great. Congratulations, Kansas City. We're excited. Poppy's so excited that she's on assignment. She just couldn't handle it so much. It was a thrilling Super Bowl. The Kansas City Chiefs are champs again ahead. We're going to have the top highlights from the historic faceoff. That is in just a moment. And Rihanna... Breaking the internet. I kept thinking, like, oh my God, please don't fall, Rihanna. Please don't I know. Fall. Her stunning performance, the big news that she revealed during the halftime show, sort of, she didn't really say it, but she, she showed it. Yeah. Also, this morning, the U.S. has shot down a fourth flying object over North America, raising only more questions about why so many objects are being spotted now. Ahead, NORAD's former deputy commander who oversees the North American skies. They are going to join us as crews are still working to recover the wreckage. Yeah, spotted or just being shot down? Well, we'll tell you about Also, more than 160 hours later, survivors are still being found under the rubble, but the death toll in Turkey and Syria now surpassing 36 we're live in Turkey straight ahead. We're going to begin with three mysterious flying objects shot down in just three days by U.S. fighter jets. And we still don't have a clear explanation from the White House or the Pentagon about what they are or where they actually came from. They were all different shapes and sizes. The latest flying object was shot down yesterday, yesterday afternoon near Lake Huron in Michigan. And we're told it was shaped like an octagon with strings hanging off of it. We'll explain that a little bit more. It was only 20,000 feet up in the sky. That's lower than the cruising altitude of a commercial airliner and about half as high as the other objects shot down in Alaska and Canada on Friday and Saturday. The suspected Chinese spy balloon that floated across the United States about a week ago was also flying much higher, around 60,000 feet. The Pentagon says it will sort through all the wreckage of the different objects to figure out what they are exactly. People want to know, and we should. Let's bring you now, Senior National Security Reporter Natasha Bertrand. Natasha, good morning to you. What is going on? Is it just more of them? Are they just shooting them down now because of the first one? What's happening here? Well, Don, the U.S. military did say yesterday that they have changed their detection filters and made it easier to detect these kinds of objects that are traveling above a certain altitude and at a certain speed. But look, this is just an unprecedented series of events, and the military still does not know what these objects actually are. The U.S. on edge, dispatching fighter jets to shoot down yet another mysterious object near Michigan's Lake Huron on Sunday. The incident is the third time in as many days that the U.S. military has shot down an unidentified object that was assessed to pose a risk to civilian aircraft, an unprecedented series of events. I believe this is the first time within United States of America airspace 
that NORAD or United States Northern Command has taken kinetic action against an airborne object. On Friday and Saturday, U.S. jets shot down two more objects near Alaska and over northern Canada. Those objects were flying at around 40,000 feet and had balloon-like features with a small metal cylinder underneath, officials said. Sunday's object over Lake Huron was flying at around 20,000 feet, and it was described by officials as octagonal with potential surveillance capabilities. The incidents have sparked confusion and prompted bipartisan criticism from lawmakers. I have real concerns about why the uh, administration is not being more forthcoming with everything that it knows. But part of the problem here is that the, both of the, the second and the third uh, objects were shot down in very remote areas. So my, my, my guess is that, that there's just not a lot of information out there yet to share. After a Chinese spy balloon transited the U.S. earlier this month and was also shot down, the North American Aerospace Defense Command readjusted its filters to better spot slow-moving targets operating above a certain altitude, officials said, which may be leading to more detections. But officials say they won't know more about the objects until they can recover and analyze all of the debris. The incidents have also raised questions about whether similar objects have simply gone undetected in the past and whether shooting each one down is the right response. What's been come clear in the public discussion is that we don't really have adequate radar systems. We certainly don't have an integrated missile defense system. We're going to have to begin to look at the United States airspace as one that we need to defend and that we need to have appropriate sensors to do so. So, Don, the Pentagon faced a lot of questions last night about whether this is the new norm, about whether the U.S. military is going to be shooting down every one of these objects as it detects them. They said that they're going to uh, adjudicate this really on a case-by-case basis moving forward, Don. All right, Natasha Bertrand, thank you very much. We're also still waiting for the White House or the Pentagon to explain what they know about these flying objects, what they've learned, whether or not China is potentially responsible. That's President Biden on Saturday night ignoring a reporter's shouted question as he was hosting governors at the White House. Our senior White House correspondent, MJ Lee, is covering the story for us this morning. MJ, I think the big question is, what is the White House saying about this this morning? Yeah, you know, Kaylin, it is pretty remarkable that we didn't hear the president on any of this over the weekend, given that we're talking about three objects that were shot down at his direction in as many days. You know, Pentagon and NSC and other administration officials have given some information uh, after each incident. But what the American people have not gotten yet so far is sort of a fulsome explanation from the president on what to make of all of this. Should people be concerned? Uh, Is there reason for alarm? You know, one Democratic congressman I was speaking to just last night, he was saying to me that the silence, frankly, is odd, especially given that people genuinely are freaked out right now by these headlines. But uh, as of this morning, as of right now, we don't have any indication from the White House that the president is going to deliver remarks. There's nothing on his public schedule, but the pressure is mounting for him to address the situation in a bigger picture way uh, as these incidents and these headlines mount. Is part of it because they don't have the answers themselves. Is that why we're not hearing a more fulsome explanation from the White House? 
Yes, absolutely. That is a likely explanation for why we've not heard from the president in this way. You know, as of this weekend, as Natasha alluded to, uh, folks are still trying to get a better handle on what exactly these objects are. Where do they originate from? And is there a reason for real concern? Uh, you know, there is a real uh, risk, according to people that we have been speaking to, uh, of putting the president behind the podium and asking him to sort of address the situation that he doesn't have a complete picture of yet. Uh, there is reticence uh, to do that. Uh, but that's why also there is a growing urgency here on the recovery efforts uh, as they try to figure out and get the debris and analyze the situation, figure out what these objects are uh, so that the White House can hopefully communicate better on what exactly is going on here. All right, MJ Lee, we'll wait to see if we do hear from the White House on this. Thank you. Ahead, we are going to also speak to NORAD's former deputy commander, Major General Scott Clancy, what he says about why these objects have been missed before and what it could mean now. Also, this. I'm kind of wondering what Philadelphia looked like last night and this morning. But anyways, I digress. Kansas City Chief fans, are you see right there, celebrating victory in Super Bowl 57, their second championship win in four years. Their star quarterback in NFL MVP Patrick Mahomes threw three touchdown passes and even rallied after re-aggravating an ankle injury. Did you see that? I saw it. It was unbelievable. He led his team to a defeat of the Philadelphia Eagles, 38 to 35. Coy Wire with the plum assignment live in Glendale, Arizona with more. So what did you think? And what a game. This is one of the most evenly matched Super Bowls we've ever seen, featuring two of the most talented, best coached teams in the league. A dang shame, Don, that one of them had to lose. There were stunning running touchdowns, passing touchdowns, a defensive touchdown, and a superstar hovering high like a diamond in the sky at halftime. This game had it all. History made at Super Bowl 57. The Chiefs' Patrick Mahomes and the Eagles' Jalen Hurts shining in one of the highest-scoring Super Bowls ever and one featuring two black starting quarterbacks for the first time. The grass was an issue at times. Players losing footing repeatedly in the first half, and Mahomes will get his ankle rolled up on, same one he injured a few weeks ago. The MVP writhing in pain. As for the slippery grass, it would have no effect on the halftime show. Only thing. Nine months after becoming a mom, floating on a platform high above the field, Rihanna pulling off her first performance in seven years and doing it with another baby on the way. A rep for the star confirming to the Hollywood Reporter that she's pregnant during this comeback performance. Speaking of comebacks, the Chiefs and Mahomes come out on fire in the second half with three consecutive touchdown drives. And with the game on the line, Mahomes took off on his sore ankle, grinding out a long run deep into Eagles territory. And then the play Eagles fans won't soon forget, a defensive holding call on James Bradbury. Well, I was hoping he would let it go, but of course, you know, he's a ref. It's a big game, um, and it was, it was a hold. That was all the Chiefs needed. Harrison Butker then kicking the game-winning field goal. For the second time in four seasons, the Lombardi Trophy has a red and gold reflection. 
Mahomes being named Super Bowl MVP for the second time in his career. How do you put all of this into perspective? It's hard, man. It's, it hasn't even sank in, I don't think, even. To go from a team that wasn't, I wouldn't even say, majority picked to win the AFC West to, to win the Super Bowl, that speaks to the guys that we have in that locker room. How do you describe to us just how tough Patrick Mahomes is? I mean, he wants to be the greatest player ever. That's, that's what he wants to do. Toughest son of a gun you ever you ever met, man. That Texas, that Texas gunslinger ain't going to let nothing get in the way. Pat is a once-in-a-generation lifetime type of player, man. And sometimes he does things so special that it becomes normality for him. And we just got to appreciate Pat, man. Head coach Andy Reid further cementing himself as one of the best ever and was overcome with joy after the victory. It means a lot. I could kiss you right now, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Being at the top with my brothers and my teammates is uh, it's the best feeling in the world. We the best. We the best. <laughs> Oh, man. Coy, I mean, you know, I love Jalen Hurts, and so this is hard for me to see him to see him go down like this. He had such a good game yesterday, though, and I loved what he said. He said, you either win or you learn. Yeah, it, he, he always talked about uh, formative experiences when I spoke to him earlier in this week that have helped him become who he is. Uh, Caitlin, dating back uh, even to his high school days and before he got to Alabama, uh, their year alma mater. And... Uh, Patrick Mahomes, listening to him talk after the game, he said, you know, if the Eagles had won that game, Jalen Hurts would have been the Super Bowl MVP, not me. So, so much respect from Patrick Mahomes. Jalen Hurts and the Eagles have so much to be proud of and a bright future ahead of them, no doubt. When he, yeah. when, when that ankle injury or when they, you know, when they re, whatever you want to call it, ignited it or exacerbated the situation, everyone I, I was watching was like, oh, my gosh, oh, no. And I went, oh, yeah, because then he's going to fight through it. And he's going to become a winner fighting through the pain and this superhero guy. And that's exactly what happened, Koya. It was fascinating to watch. Yeah, Yeah, the strongest steel is burned in the hottest coals. And we see greatness, uh, you know, come out of those moments like of of which you're speaking, Dodd. It was really sweet afterwards. I I reminded Patrick that it was 10 years ago as a teenager that he tweeted, how cool would it be to win the Super Bowl and say that you're going to Disney World? Well, now he's won his second Super Bowl. And he told me this is great because the first time I went to Disney World, now I'm going to Disneyland. He's headed there later this morning uh, with his wife and his two children to have a good time and to celebrate a heck of a win that's great I, and i love the relationship between him and kelsey like every time he's being interviewed they, they jump into each other's shot and they start screaming it's really great camaraderie he's once in a generation yeah thank you coy appreciate it we'll see you soon coy must have not slept at all you, yeah <laughs> i didn't sleep much either I, I stayed up and watched the after 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 game yeah that's it's crazy too good. it's hard to look away Um, All right, also happening right now, we're tracking another international development. Thousands of Israelis are now protesting outside parliament this morning against Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and his controversial judicial reform plan. It aims to give lawmakers way more control over the Supreme Court. And as this move is inching towards approval, you're seeing a lot of the fear about the legislative branch that it's going to potentially have unchecked authority. CNN's Hadass Gold is among the protesters. She's tracking the story for us. Our live shot's a little touch and go, but Hadass, since you're with us right now, what are you hearing from these people? What are their main concerns? Yeah, well, Caitlin, for weeks, 
tens of thousands have been protesting in Tel Aviv, which is largely seen as the more liberal city in Israel. But today, on a Monday, many thousands have have gone on strike from work and have decided to come here to Jerusalem, to the backyard of the legislators of the parliament, because that bill, that those judicial reforms went through its first committee hearing today. And essentially, this would allow the Israeli parliament to overturn Supreme Court decisions with a simple majority. I want to show you just the thousands of people that are out here on the street. This is the road that leads down past the Supreme Court and towards the Israeli parliament. I'll have my cameraman zoom in just so you can see just the amount of people. We have a sea of flags. We've seen a lot of LGBTQ flags. We've heard lots of chants, not only against this judicial reform, but also against uh, the occupation. We've seen chants about Palestinians. So this is clearly capturing not just a mood about the judicial reform, but a mood about this government and about Benjamin Netanyahu in general. Caitlin. Hadass Gold in Jerusalem will stay with you as you get more updates. Thank you so much. Also this morning, outrage is growing as the humanitarian catastrophe that we are seeing is deepening across Turkey and Syria. The latest numbers over the weekend, more than 36,000 people have now been confirmed dead. We're going to take a look at the intense backlash that is now building in Turkey. 36,000 people, my goodness. And the latest of rescues and survivors who defying the odds there, including a baby who survived more than four days beneath that rubble. More CNN this morning to come after the break. The devastating earthquake in Turkey and Syria has now taken more than 36,000 lives. It's, it's hard to even digest that number. But as the raid and rescue efforts are intensifying in the region, we're only learning more about the recovery effort. Here, a man was found after 167 hours underneath the rubble. One of the latest in a series of harrowing stories of survival that we are seeing come out of this. This baby was also rescued despite being hungry for 108 hours when he was finally discovered. Officials say he is in good health. He's doing well so far. But this comes as anger is building among some of the survivors over the government and Turkish President Erdogan's handling of the crisis. Even Erdogan himself acknowledging that the government's initial response was slow. CNN's Sarah Seinder is in southern Turkey. Sarah, I mean, it's kind of hard to even see what is behind you. What are these recovery efforts looking like, you know, this many days after it? Yeah, Caitlin, it's a, it's a really good question because we are now in uh, going into day eight since the earthquake happened. And this is just one area in one city. Uh, it, we're in Andiaman, and this is a city that did not see a, a lot of help in the beginning. It's way, way up, uh, and, and it was hard for people uh, to get here. Now they are here, but they are facing this kind of destruction. This is actually two separate buildings that collapsed. Now, we are told by the people who were here when it happened that the first building collapsed. They called that the bad building, one that didn't seem to be built properly uh, to withstand the kind of shaking that these two earthquakes uh, actually brought to this area. And the second building, it was actually collapsed upon by the first building. So you have this horrible effect. There are about 200 or so people living uh, in these buildings. And I want to show you something because now the heavy equipment has come and they're starting to try to dig out. They do believe yesterday that they heard potentially uh, someone alive in this incredible 
amount of concrete and rebar. And what you are seeing, if you take uh, over to the right, Byron is, is taking these pictures, you see people standing there. Some of these people are here to try and, and, and do some work. And some people on the other side, and let's swing the camera over here. If you look along the street, um, if you come with me, and we're going to try to be careful of, of the, the work that's going on, but if you look along the street and uh, uh, standing along here, these are family members. These are people that are simply hoping beyond hope that their loved one is found. Some people are hoping that they're found uh, alive, but many people are hoping that they can at least see a body here so that they can bury their loved ones properly. We have seen mass grave sites already because there are simply too many people. We're talking more than 30,000 people now who have died in this earthquake. But every day, even eight days on, every single day, we are hearing of rescues. We have seen one ourselves. We were able to speak to a child that was rescued after seven days in the rubble. And here they have pulled someone out just today and they hear signs of life in another part of this city. But I mean, the destruction cannot be underestimated. It is all over the place. You can drive for miles and miles, and suddenly you're seeing more and more piles of rubble. Now, you'll notice that there are buildings standing, but most of them cannot be occupied because if we were to take you up, there are cracks all throughout that building, and no one feels safe enough to stay in them. They are not safe to be occupied. So people are in the streets. I want to mention one more thing that a lot of people don't think about because their hearts are so broken, all they want to do is see their family members who are stuck in this rubble. But I don't know if you've noticed all of this dust all over the place. The reason I had a mask on is I'm trying to wear that because there's asbestos in the air, there's all sorts of chemicals, there's a ton of... All right, Sarah, obviously having some trouble with her camera work there. There's not a ton of service on the ground. We are going to stay with her. We're going to focus also on the human aspect of this because you saw those families there. They are waiting for news about their loved ones. We're going to check back in with Sarah in the 8 a.m. hour. Also this morning, we are following another major story. Three more objects have been shot down over the United States and Canada in just the last three days alone. It's hard to believe. A lot of questions. The former director of operations at NORAD, who tracks all of this, is going to join us live to help us break it all down next. Yeah, lots of questions for him. I'm sure he's a very famous guy right now. And this, the House Speaker Kevin McCarthy turning to the five families of his conference as he tries to raise the debt ceiling as it cuts spending, his chances at securing enough votes ahead. I mean, this is a, like a fascination for everyone because everyone is wondering what is going on over the skies of North America. Three more objects shot down in the last three days. That makes a total of four. So are there more things floating up there or are we just being more vigilant now? The Air Force General in charge of NORAD, um, that is a North American Aerospace Defense Command, says that we have a lot to learn. Watch this. I would be hesitant to and urge you not to uh, attributed to any specific country. We don't know. That's why it's so critical to get our hands on these so that we can further assess and analyze what they are. All right, so we don't want to get ahead of ourselves. We want to get as much information as possible. So let's discuss now with retired Major General Scott Clancy of NORAD. He serves as the Director of Operations and was Deputy Commander of the Alaska Region. Good morning to you. Thank you so much. We appreciate you joining us here on CNN this morning. I'm sure this is 
you're a very busy guy right now. Norad says that the says that the takedown of the Chinese spy balloon was likely the first time that Norad has taken what they call kinetic action against an airborne object over the U.S. airspace. There has been a total of four objects shot down now. So what is going on? What are your concerns? Please explain to us. Well, I think you're seeing the confluence of uh, two things. The first thing is what uh, General Venner, my old commander, uh, referred to as intelligence gaps that existed with our systems of detection uh, across North America. Uh, as he said in his briefing after the initial shootdown of the Chinese attributed balloon, that they have since closed those gaps. Uh, and it's been referred to as to adjusting the filters on those systems. I think there's maybe a little bit more to that. But what it does is it allows these systems to be seen more often. The second thing, and, and this is just conjecture from my perspective, I think you're also seeing the confluence of a dis a distinctive activity by our adversaries to test our systems. And I think it's the confluence of both of those things that we're producing these number of events. Does that mean you think it's China? No, I do not. And I, I think that uh, General Van Erk's prudence with respect to attribution of these last three uh, is well-sounded, especially when we think of the tensions that already exist in the relations between China and the United States particularly, but let's just say China and the Western world, uh, over the Straits of Taiwan, over its economic dealings, over its flouting of international laws. Uh, Canada has been demarched by them in the past for uh, a, a number of things. So his prudence in, in making sure that we can recover the objects before attribution is smart. But what I'm saying is it, it smells to me, as the guy who was directed to conduct operations to defend North America, I'd be very suspicious and I'd be on high alert to make sure that all of our adversaries are being countered. Can you just follow up on something you said? You said distinctive what to test our system and, and why now? Why so? Well, I, I think that... Uh, I think that's what we're trying to get out of the recovery and analysis of the payloads of the devices that have been shot down. It's not just where they were. It's not just the critical infrastructure or defense um, infrastructure, nuclear uh, fields uh, that they flew over. It's also the type of sensors that they had on board. And then finally, you're, what you're really trying to ascertain is what was the overall intent of doing this with these devices at this time? Uh, it looks to me to be a concerted effort because you have any more than one object, then it looks like a coordinated effort. Hmm. And it might not be over even the uh, infrastructure that you fly over. You might fly over infrastructure attempting to see inside of our networks or command and control systems, the reactions so that you can play out those reactions for the future. Since you were the former deputy commander here, what actually happens once they detect something like this? You know, they've scrambled the, the fighter jets to go and investigate. And then when do they make the call to shoot something down? What's the threshold for that look like? Well, that's a great question. When I was the deputy commander up in the Alaskan region, uh, you know, for two years, we would detect with our long-range radar systems or be queued by national intelligence of both Canada and the United States on an upcoming event or an event that's occurring inside of the air defense identification zone. 
at which point in time in the region, we would make either my commander or myself would make the decision with respect to launching alert aircraft to be able to respond. Now, those alert aircraft will go and alongside of uh, AWACS or Airborne Early Warning Systems, uh, aircraft that have very uh, long radars and associated tankers, we would inspect those objects or what we would call targets of interest. Once an identification is made, and you heard uh, the Canadian Minister of National Defence saying on the uh, device that was shot down in the Yukon, that they wanted to establish visual identification, which is why they waited for daylight. Now, once that identification is done, and that's extremely important to be able to delineate exactly what you're dealing with. Is this a civilian aircraft? Is this uh, a military aircraft? What is it? Because up until that point in time, it's only a radar contact. It's at that point in time that NORAD headquarters in Colorado Springs will characterize or describe those elements to the national authorities of Canada and the United States. Now, they'll explain them to both. However, the decision to take action will be with the sovereign authorities of either one of the nations that the object is in. So, for example, it would have been the Canadian prime minister that ordered the shoot down for the object in the Yukon. But if the object was in American airspace like Alaska, that would have been the purview of the American authorities. And there's so many questions. About how, how do you exactly tweak the way we detect such things like how do you how do you tweak that and, and how do they change it and why do they change it so i think that this is, has been an ongoing effort to make sure that those of us who are charged with the defense of north america are maximizing the systems that we have right now i think of a, a radar screen that is full of little dots and squeakies all over that screen and a human is trying to interpret all of those radar contacts it becomes difficult if your primary threat is from aircraft that travel at hundreds of miles an hour then you're going to adjust the gain or filter to weed out all of birds environmentals and as such you would weed out also balloons that are low uh, of low speeds at which at which point in time you're not going to see those targets now the second thing is that the radar systems that we have in norad have you know they're very old now and we've been lax in modernizing the norad infrastructure to be able to deal with this if you apply data management systems machine learning and ai on the back end of existing radars then instead of a human trying to interpret those things machines are able to bring that data out and interpret them for us so that we can be more effective i think you're seeing both of these things happen Fascinating. Fascinating. Thank you. Retired Major General Scott Clancy. We appreciate it. I mean, it's, it's interesting that we, they're having to tweak it right now. You know what I mean? And what they're having to do on the back end because the systems obviously needs upgrading. But it's fascinating. Yeah. Many of this year's Super Bowl ads featuring big Hollywood names, the faves and the flops. That's next. Plus this. Scott, you know the rules. Rihanna turning her highly anticipated Super Bowl halftime show into a pregnancy announcement. We have the highlights from the performance. Carrie Champion is going to join us to analyze it. Where have you been all my life? 
Brianna teased a surprise guest at the Super Bowl and she brought one to the halftime show, baby number two. Following her performance, Rihanna's representative did confirm to The Hollywood Reporter that yes, what you saw is true. She is pregnant with her second baby. The Grammy winner welcomed her first child with her boyfriend ASAP Rocky last May. So joining us now to talk about all of the moments last night is the host of the Carrie Champion show on Amazon Prime Video, Carrie Champion herself. Uh, Karen, what did you make of the Rihanna concert that also had a football game going along with it? (laughs) (laughs) Accurate description. That is an accurate description. First off, I think that there was so much anticipation bet around whether or not she would bring someone out. Um, And there were all of these pop bets surrounding who she was and what she would do. Um, But to me, she brought out the biggest gift of joy there was. That was a child. And I want everybody to understand they were wanting to see more dancing and more this. And I thought that was amazing that she was pregnant and she decided to perform on that national stage. That probably took so much out of her. I thought, look, I thought it was great. Um, you're right, people wanted more, but I kind of like it when entertainers just stand there and sing and entertain and not, you know, sometimes they try to do too much. I was just nervous. I kept saying, please, nobody fall off of these floating things. I kept waiting <laughs> for someone to fall. I'm like, I hope she's strapped in. That made me nervous. Yeah, me too. And you could see, I thought at one you know, I tried to interpret what I thought was happening. You could see she a little nervous too. It's it's first of all, I can imagine not being nauseous, but second of all, there was a lot of anticipation and she had said days leading up to this, she hasn't performed in over 5 years. She was very nervous about the performance. She was nervous about what people would say, but I felt like that was a great iconic moment for women. So many of us without diving too deep into this, Don So many of us feel like we can't have children in the prime of our careers. And here she is not only having one, but two, and she's unapologetic. I think that was a big moment. I think that was some that was symbolic if people pay attention. But people have to remember, I I, I don't know if it's fair to qualify this as her side gig because she really makes money on the business from Fenty um, Beauty, her cosmetics company. That's why she is a billionaire plus. It's because of her cosmetics, not because of the music. The music is great. So, I mean, she's got two gigs. She's a businesswoman. Uh, and an entertainer at the same time. So props to her. Yes. And also, I'll tell you what else stood out to me. I don't know if you guys noticed. She, you talk about her being a businesswoman. She took these moments to, like, do her Mm -hmm. makeup, right? (laughs) Yeah, she definitely tied it in. I love that. I thought that was so smart. But, uh, Carrie, you're totally right. She was very honest about what it was like going into that. And I loved that, that she admitted, you know, I am nervous and I am hesitant about this. We look forward to seeing you know, what she does with this platform going forward, Carrie Champion. Bye, Carrie. See ya. Yes. Thank you guys Thanks. for having me. See ya. See ya. Thank Bye. you. Okay, so let's be honest. There are really three things people tune into the Super Bowl for, right? <laughs> the football, kind of. Right? The performances and the ads. Do I look familiar? Oh. Should I be in it or do you want I just want you. a self-portrait? What are you doing here? Me, Is this friends. what you do when you say you want to work all day? I, I gotta go, guys. Grab me a glaze. Are you excited about buying an electric vehicle but worried that it could leave you unsatisfied? Then you could be one of many Americans concerned about premature electrification. What are these? We call them popcorners. Say their name. <laughs> popcorners! 
Tight, tight! Yeah! <laughs> Those commercials also are it's a way to check the pulse of the American economy. According to The Atlantic, the biggest day in American sports, which is also the biggest day in American ads, is a useful measure of which firms and sectors believe themselves to be the future of the economy and why it's an excellent barometer for bubbles. Yeah. All right. Joining us now to explain all of that is CNN media analyst and Axios media reporter Sarah Fisher. Hi, Sarah. So listen, um, the mood from the country, is it fair to say that the commercials represented that or did they are they trying to steer us in a certain direction? They absolutely represented it, Don. If you think back to the pandemic a few years ago, brands were afraid to be too funny. They didn't want celebrities to be cracking jokes. It, it was a very somber time. Now, fast forward, we just came out of a pretty rough year in 2022. And I think a lot of brands were leaning into the fact that consumers just wanted to have a good time. You saw a lot of brands being very funny, fewer of those sentimental tearjerkers, although we had a few. And we had a ton of ads that kind of leaned into America's favorite vices. Tons of ads for booze, tons of ads for binge-watching TV, and, of course, tons and tons of ads for just all sorts of junk food and snacks, et cetera. Okay, but Sarah, what I noticed as I was watching this is there weren't any crypto commercials. Last year, there were a ton of those. It seemed like every single commercial was a crypto one. Of course, you know, we've seen what's happened with that, with Sam Bankman-Fried, how the downfall of that has looked like. You know, what does that say to you? Did it stand out to you that there weren't any of those commercials? Absolutely. And there was some reporting that a bunch were booked. But then given the fallout around FTX, crypto advertisers pulled out of the game. You know, there was a lot of financial services that were still represented, as well as tech companies. You had everything from E-Trade to T-Mobile, Google, Uber, DoorDash. But at the end of the day, I think if there's an industry that's struggling, don't expect them to show up at the Super Bowl, Caitlin. All right. Sarah Fisher. Thank you very much. We'll see you soon. Thank you. All right. Also this morning, House Leader Kevin McCarthy is still working to raise the debt ceiling with spending cuts as he leans on the five families. That means the five different factions of the Republican conference to do it. But Democrats say right now he does not have the votes. We'll tell you more next. Sounds like the godfather. More CNN this morning to come after the break. All right, you see the Capitol there. We're also learning this morning that the White House and Senate Democrats are now calculating that House Speaker Kevin McCarthy will not have enough votes to raise the debt ceiling without major concessions and will cave to their demands to avoid a debt default. Now, McCarthy says he wants to uh, attach certain spending cuts to do this. A, where is your plan, Mr. McCarthy? He says he wants cuts. We ask him which ones. He won't say any. He can't pass a plan with cuts. His hard right will demand the kind of deepest cuts that his more mainstream Republicans won't vote for. And I'll tell you, my experience in this, the party that hell holds out with brinksmanship and says, I won't renew it unless you do what I want, loses. We're going to win this fight, and it's going to be a clean debt ceiling. Confident prediction there from Senator Chuck Schumer. CNN's Melanie Zanona is covering all of this live from Capitol Hill. Melanie, it stood out to me that yesterday we heard from from James Comer, Congressman Comer, and he said that, you know, he'd like to see what the Republican plan is as soon as next week. But basically, they still have not landed on a plan yet themselves. 
Not yet, Caitlin, but Kevin McCarthy is hoping to change that. So part of his strategy here is that he is trying to show that Republicans can get the 218 votes needed to pass a spending plan because one of the chief criticisms of Republicans is that they can't negotiate amongst themselves, let alone negotiate with the White House. So Kevin McCarthy is trying to prove everyone wrong and strengthen his own negotiating hand in the process. Not to mention, in the absence of a GOP plan, Democrats have started to speak for them. You remember that infamous State of the Union moment last week when Biden suggested Republicans want to cut Social Security and Medicare, which they insist is not true. So we'll see what they come up with. But there's another aspect to Kevin McCarthy's strategy here, Caitlin, and that is he wants to show his own conference he is going to be inclusive in this process. Uh, he convened a meeting last week with the so-called five families. Those are the different wings of the Republican conference. Also a Godfather reference there. Not sure <laughs> if that is the reference that all Republicans love. Uh, but look, it is still early. But it does offer a good window into Kevin McCarthy's management style. And this is going to be so important for Kevin McCarthy because he knows that these debt sailing talks are going to be a make or break moment for his speakership, Caitlin. It's fascinating to me how five families has just become this accepted term that Kevin McCarthy <laughs> yeah. is using to describe that conference. But we'll see just how accurate it is. Melanie, thank you for the great reporting. The U.S. military shoots down a fourth object in eight days, raising more questions than answers. Where did the objects come from and is it a threat? We're live at the State Department. I have real concerns about why the uh, administration is not being more forthcoming with everything that it knows. But part of the problem here is that the, both of the, the second and the third uh, objects were shot down in very remote areas. So my, my, my guess is that, that there's just not a lot of information out there yet to share. Yeah, good morning, everyone. A mystery wrapped in a riddle. It's, it's serious stuff. So the question is, what are they? Where do they come from? Three mysteries, mysterious, I should say, flying objects shot down in three days by U.S. fighter jets. And now the White House is under mounting pressure to explain exactly what is going on. Also, we're tracking a major international development as the death toll in Turkey and Syria is still climbing. After last week's catastrophic earthquake, more than 36,000 people have now been confirmed dead. As the public outrage is growing against Turkey's longtime leader, is the backlash big enough to topple him from power before an upcoming election? Plus, the Super Bowl last night. Russia's come, gonna throw it as far as his arm can take it, which is well short, and the Kansas City Chiefs have won Super Bowl 57. Let's see if I can do my Super Bowl voice. The Kansas City Chiefs are Super Bowl champions after an epic back-and-forth game. It came down to the wire, really. We're going to break down the highlights and the controversial call at the end. Lots to talk about. Yes, we have everything there if you missed it. But we're going to begin this morning with something that has also, also captured the nation's attention over the weekend, which is U.S. fighter jets being scrambled and shooting down three mysterious flying objects in just the last three days alone. The White House and Pentagon are now facing growing pressure to answer just basic but burning questions. What are these objects? Who sent them? They were all different shapes and sizes, according to officials. They were flying at different altitudes. We're told that the latest object was shaped like an octagon and shot down over Michigan near Lake Huron. It was only flying 20,000 feet up, much lower than the objects that were shot down over Alaska and Canada on Friday and Saturday, respectively. It was at a lower than cruising the cruising altitude of a commercial airliner, the suspected Chinese spy balloon that flew across the U.S. was 60,000 feet in the air for comparison. It's a lot higher 
than the other objects we've been seeing in recent days. But lawmakers from both sides of the aisle are demanding more details from the White House, including the Republican chair of the House Intelligence Committee, Mike Turner. I prefer them to be trigger happy than to be permissive. But we're going to have to see whether or not this is just the administration trying to, to change headlines. But what we're seeing here is a number of announcements by the administration without any real information being given to Congress. This could be because they don't have any information. Our national security correspondent, Kylie Atwood, is at the State Department. And Kylie, I think that's a good question. What do they know? Do they know something that they're holding back or is it they're not saying a lot publicly because they don't really know a lot? Caitlin, it's pretty clear that they just don't know a lot right now. We spoke with uh, some Pentagon officials on the phone last night, and they put it pretty blatantly when they said, one of them, that they believe that this is the first time that U.S. Northern Command has used kinetic action, the military, to take down an airborne object in U.S. airspace. So this is pretty unprecedented. They are still trying to figure out a lot of the questions that lawmakers have answers to. Now, over the weekend, President Biden spoke with uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau of Canada, and they spoke after that object was downed over Canada. They both authorized the downing of that object. What they focused on was the need for recovery to better understand the origin and the purpose of that object. But as you noted just out of the front there, there were three objects that were downed over the course of three days. On Friday, there was an object downed over U.S. coastal waters around Alaska, then the one over Canada on Saturday. On Sunday, another object downed by U.S. fighter jets over Lake Huron. Now, there is no clear connection to any of these, and that Chinese spy balloon that was down off the coast of South Carolina just last weekend. But the recovery efforts here are what U.S. officials are really looking at to try and learn more about where where these objects came from, what they were doing in U.S. airspace. And we heard last night from the commander of Northern Command, however, that recovery efforts for that object that was down over the coastal waters around Alaska hasn't even begun because the teams are still working to locate that object. Yeah, we'll see what happens when they do finally locate it. Kylie Outwood, thank you. There's lots to discuss now. Joining us now, Senate Political and National Security Analyst David Sanger and retired U.S. Army Major Mike Lyons. Good to see both of you. Thank you very much. So I'm interested in what you have to say about this, Mike Lyons, because you are saying that this is a wake-up call. What, why do you say this is a wake-up call? No, I think it is. It puts uh, the United States on notice for this great power competition between us and China, this one at 60,000 feet, potentially. Uh, this is high-altitude airspace that, uh, in the past, that the Chinese have encroached on before, um, in other nations as well, and we've just kind of ignored it. And uh, now we're going to have to put the resources towards looking over the horizon, especially in areas in the north, in Alaska, so to speak, if we're going to protect our country in a post-9-11 world. I'm just still shocked that we don't have control of this airspace it, from 60,000 to 40,000, especially in that FAA space, uh, with regard to what we know is going in there. David, you have covered the national security space. Has the, when was the last time the U.S. scrambled fighter jets to shoot something down in U.S. airspace? Yeah, I can't remember one, Caitlin. And in fact, when NORAD uh, took down that uh, balloon on uh, Saturday, or what has been uh, described uh, now as a, as a balloon, I think it was the first time that NORAD had actually fired uh, in a real live situation, not training, uh, in North American airspace, which which gets to you know the point of how unusual this is. 
But, you know, there's a big distinction between the first balloon, the one that clearly came from China, and the three that we've seen now. For the first one, the U.S. actually tracked it as it was leaving Hainan Island in China and saw it go up over the Aleutians and then, of course, warned the president and they made the decision, right or wrong, to track it across the United States. These other three, there's no indication right now that they came from China. Their small size suggests that they may have been much more local. We don't know if they were a foreign power's uh, balloons at all. And so that tells you that we've sort of got two separate issues going on here. The first is uh, how well we actually track these as they come into U.S. airspace and uh, understand what the sensitivity of our sensors are. Clearly, that sensitivity has been turned up in recent times, the way you might turn up a, a magnetic reader in an airport. And then the second is, what are the conditions under which you shoot them down? And it's not clear right now that these posed these latest balloons posed a major threat other than to commercial air traffic. Well, it's interesting. We had a major general on from NORAD who, who said, look, these have been happening for a while now. That maybe have always happened, but they've just tweaked the system that is able to track them. My question is, though, obviously the fascination is because it's balloons, right? And it's flying in spaces with commercial aircraft. That is very dangerous. But China has said that the U.S. has illegally flown high-altitude balloons into China's sovereign airspace without Beijing's consent for more than 10 times in 2022. We spy on China. They spy on us. So what gives? What's new here? Mike Lyons? Well, I, I think, first and foremost, uh, we likely do that. We likely put these balloons up there. We're always looking for an advantage when it comes to communications. You know, the, what the balloons provide the military is kind of the skipping off this. Instead of a satellite from the Earth's uh, atmosphere, you get uh, better communications if you can do this. So there's no question that it wouldn't, doesn't surprise me at all that we've been doing that. It's looking to get an advantage on our side. Um, whether they're spy balloons really remains to be seen because we have the kind of technology that could read literally somebody's name tag and a foxhole down uh, from space if we had to do that. So I, again, the, it's important that we're in high altitude. It's important that we're in that space and we're going to use it to our advantage. But what does it say to you that they're, they called the first one a balloon, as David said there. They're not referring to these as balloons. They're referring to them as objects. So, so what are they doing? Are they emanating pulsing signals? Are they, they relaying uh, communication signals? What, what exactly is the point? We don't really know what they are yet. Um, I'm sure the first balloon, for example, part of the reason why they allowed to track it, because they really wanted to get inside of it. It was likely inoculated. It didn't harm the United States. It didn't do anything. And they used, a, you know, made a science experiment out of it, basically, which is why they convinced the administration to track it for all that spice. It seems, it seems that it, it is, uh, David Singer, more transparency rather than more incidents, right? It's like the incidents you see of, you know, on cell phones. There are more cell phones now, so people are able to, to, to track them more, to see it more. So this, should we be more concerned about these developments, or is this good that we're at least getting more transparency now? Well, Don, you're absolutely right. You know, it's one of the cardinal rules of intelligence is that if you focus your systems on looking for a certain kind of thing, you're going to find more right. of them because things that sort of you ignored along the way. And I think there's a good deal of that happening. So we have to fine tune the system now to both um, pick up what we really care about, not pick up what we don't care about. And I think probably have a little bit better sense of what we really need to go shoot down because these are these were this is a pretty dramatic weekend, Super Bowl aside, uh, of, uh, of these shoot downs. 
Um, should we be more concerned? I think that it, it, we're right to focus right now more on this because the Chinese government clearly has put together a very comprehensive surveillance system of which the balloons are just a small part. But I'm not sure we should necessarily panic about the smaller incidents. Big question, still running about it, but no two better to people to speak about it with. David Sanger, Major Mike Lines, thank you both. Good to see both of you. Thank you very much. Now to da, 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 this morning, the Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl champions. I was waiting for this part of the, the thing, so I have to do it myself. <laughs> the Super Bowl champion, star quarterback, and NFL MVP, Patrick Mahomes, leading his team to victory over the Philadelphia Eagles, 38-35. to He threw three touchdown passes and even rallied after re-aggravating his ankle injury. This is the Chiefs' second championship in four years. Coy Wire, live in Glendale, Arizona, with more. If I could transport myself in, like, on Star Trek and flip with Coy, I would do it. Coy, good morning to you. Give us some of the highlights. Yeah, I'd like to apologize to you and Kaylin that I got the best assignment on the planet this week. I got to cover a Rihanna concert and a little bit of football, too. This stadium has hosted three Super Bowls, all instant classics. The Giants, Eli Manning tossing to David Tyree for the catch to beat the Patriots. Seahawks, Russell Wilson throwing an interception to Malcolm Butler on the goal line as the Patriots beat the Seahawks. And now this, the Eagles, Jalen Hurts rushing for three touchdowns. More than any quarterback in Super Bowl history, but those Chiefs, they scored a defensive touchdown. They pulled off the longest punt return in Super Bowl history. This game had it all. History made at Super Bowl 57. The Chiefs Patrick Mahomes and the Eagles Jalen Hurts shining in one of the highest scoring Super Bowls ever and one featuring two black starting quarterbacks for the first time. The grass was an issue at times. Players losing footing repeatedly in the first half and Mahomes will get his ankle rolled up on. Same one he injured a few weeks ago. The MVP writhing in pain. As for the slippery grass, it would have no effect on the halftime show. Only thing on my mind is gonna run this town tonight. Nine months after becoming a mom, floating on a platform high above the field, Rihanna pulling off her first performance in seven years and doing it with another baby on the way. A rep for the star confirming to the Hollywood Reporter that she's pregnant during this comeback performance. Speaking of comebacks, the Chiefs and Mahomes come out on fire in the second half with three consecutive touchdown drives. And with the game on the line, Mahomes took off on his sore ankle, grinding out a long run deep into Eagles territory. And then the play Eagles fans won't soon forget. A defensive holding call on James Bradbury. I was hoping he would let it go, but of course, you know, he's a ref. It's a big game, um, and it was, it was a hold. That was all the Chiefs needed. Harrison Butker then kicking the game-winning field goal. For the second time in four seasons, the Lombardi Trophy has a red and gold reflection. Mahomes being named Super Bowl MVP for the second time in his career. How do you put all of this into perspective? It's hard, man. It's, it hasn't even sank in, I don't think, even... To go from a team that wasn't, I wouldn't even say majority pick to win the AFC West to, to win the Super Bowl, that speaks to the guys that we have in that locker room. How do you describe to us just how tough Patrick Mahomes is? I mean, he wants to be the greatest player ever. That's, that's what he wants to do. Toughest son of a gun you ever, you ever met, man. That Texas, that Texas gunslinger ain't going to let nothing get in the way. 
Pat is a once-in-a-generation lifetime type of player, man. And sometimes he does things so special that it becomes normality for him. And we just got to appreciate Pat, man. Head coach Andy Reid further cementing himself as one of the best ever and was overcome with joy after the victory. It means a lot. I could kiss you right now, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Being at the top with my brothers and my teammates is uh, it's the best feeling in the world. We the best. We the best. <laughs> Teams that were down by double digits at halftime in the Super Bowls were 1-26 all-time, but the Chiefs are that good. They'll be celebrating with a parade on Wednesday in Kansas City. All right, Coy. I guess, are we still speaking to Coy? I guess so. I'm happy for Coy. All right, Coy. <laughs> Even though he hasn't slept, I imagine. <laughs> Thanks, Coy. We'll see you soon. Appreciate it. All right, speaking of people who have not slept, you are looking at live pictures of Union Station in Kansas City. It was lit up. For the Chiefs, they even had fireworks last night. KCTV reporter Joe Hennessy is there. Joe, uh, I imagine everyone probably just went to bed a few hours ago. What's the mood been like? Did you get any sleep, sir? Uh, I got only a few hours. Of course, you had to stay up and watch the whole game. So, you know, two hours is better than a mi or an hour 30, better than an hour. So you got to mm -hmm. find some time. A, a, a nap is definitely uh, on call earlier or later today. But yeah, no, as soon as the game ended, the city erupted in a sense. You started to hear those fireworks just go off. We are here at Union Station where the fireworks started, but they went all the way, you know, west into Kansas towards Lawrence. They had their downtown shut down. Topeka was shut down as well. Here in Kansas City, of course, everyone rushed to the Power and Light District, and that's where you're seeing tons and tons of people go as soon as Chiefs get this big win, because that's just a great party place to go as well. So as soon as that, you know, the, the field goal went in, as soon as they were crowned the champs, you started hearing uh, horns honking and people making their way downtown for sure. Oh my God, I can't even imagine the celebrations. We still see some people there behind you, still up this morning celebrating that. I know that parade is gonna be awesome. Joe Hennessy, thank you so much for that. You think those people were up all night? I think they were. I mean, I would have been. When Alabama, I mean, when Alabama used to win, like we we wouldn't go to sleep. Like we'd stay up all night. You guys were diehards. I know. Love. We love to love to celebrate. All right, the U.S. this morning is now sending an urgent warning to any Americans who are still in Russia, telling them to get out and to get out now. We'll tell you what's behind that latest alert. Plus, inside Syria's quake quake zone, access only. CNN can bring you. Jamana Karacha went. She went there so she can share pictures of a growing humanitarian crisis with us. More CNN This Morning to come after the break. Leave Russia immediately. That is a new warning from the United States telling citizens to get out because of the war in Ukraine, which could lead to harassment and arrest, they believe, by Moscow's law enforcement agencies. All of this is coming as the NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg is in Brussels this morning at the headquarters. He's going to be meeting with the NATO defense ministers and also the U.S.'s Lloyd Austin, who, of course, is the Pentagon chief and the Army general uh, and the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Mark Milley. You could see uh, Austin this morning as he was departing Joint Base Andrews in Washington to go to Brussels. CNN's David McKenzie, meanwhile, is live in Kiev, Ukraine. This warning is coming as obviously we're seeing what's happening there on the ground. What do you make? What's the broader, bigger picture that people need to take away from all of this, David? 
Well, Caitlin, I think one of the big issues they're looking at is, frankly, ammunition. They need artillery shells on the front lines to the east of where I'm standing. And they certainly touched on that in that uh, press conference, the NATO Secretary General saying they're working, scrambling to get enough ammunition to their allies here in Ukraine because there's no good having these artillery pieces if you cannot shoot shells out of them. And you've seen a significant uptick in those uh, frontline fighting in the east and Russia sending waves of mechanized brigades and soldiers at those defensive positions, Caitlin. And so when it comes to these meetings that they're having with the NATO Secretary General, I mean, what are the key issues that they need to tick through? As I'm sure they've been having these conversations with President Zelensky, who made that trip last week to the UK and to France. Well, the key things they need to deal with is how to maintain the support of Ukraine while protecting NATO allies at the same time. And they touched on that already. They said they need the ammunition to get to the front in Ukraine, but not run out of ammunition if there's a worst case scenario in any NATO ally country, Caitlin. And that's important. And meanwhile, you've seen over the last few days very heavy fighting uh, in the east. We have some dramatic video here of tanks and APCs from Russia driving uh, through what appears to be minefield fields uh, and getting struck by drones. According to the UK Defence Intelligence, they are losing more soldiers and casualties of more soldiers than any time since the beginning of the war. And certainly that pressure from the Russians is also taking a toll on Ukrainians. And that's uh, why they say they need more help. Caitlin, Don? Yeah. All right. David McKenzie, thank you for that update. All right. This morning, CNN has its first images out of Syria following the devastating earthquake last week, killing thousands. The sheer magnitude of the death, destruction and suffering in the war-torn country is simply unimaginable. CNN's Jamana Karachi went there and visited a Syrian hospital to see the humanitarian catastrophe firsthand. Jamana is live for us on the ground in Turkey right now. Jamana, hello to you. What did you see? Hi, Dawn. I mean, as you know very well, the situation inside northwestern Syria, the last rebel-held territory of Syria, uh, it's been a real dire humanitarian crisis for years now. Most of the people who live there have had to flee their homes several times. They've ended up there. They're entirely reliant on international humanitarian aid that's slowed down in the past few years. They've also been facing a very harsh winter this year freezing temperatures, snow, rain. I mean, not only is it making life miserable for people, it has been dangerous. Some children have frozen to death uh, in northwestern Syria. And then you also have a cholera outbreak and on top of that, the earthquake. So it's a humanitarian crisis on top of a humanitarian crisis. And we got to visit uh, Syria this weekend and see the impact of the earthquake firsthand. Baby Muhammad takes every little labored breath on his own. No mom, no dad to hold his tiny hand. His parents didn't survive the earthquake. The three-month-old was rescued by neighbors who brought him to this ICU. In the room next door, we find Ghalia. The 26-year-old will never walk again. The earthquake brought down her family's home and crushed her back. Her stepmom tells us Ghalia and her three children were under the rubble for 18 hours. The children survived, but they don't know where they are. In every room of the Syrian hospital, a bittersweet tale of survival. Many more should have been alive today to tell their stories. Doctors say they tried to save them, but didn't have enough supplies to save everyone. 
The few medical facilities in rebel-held Syria are barely still standing after years of Russian and Syrian regime bombardment that left them ill-equipped to deal with a disaster of this magnitude. We lost a lot of patients because of shortages in medical supplies. If we had them, we could have saved many more lives. This was the scene here last Monday and in other facilities run by the Syrian American Medical Society. This is the biggest disaster we ever had. We dealt with war injuries, but never had to deal with this many casualties at once. The people of this devastated land cried for help, but no help came. Aid to rebel-held northwest Syria is tied in politics and at the mercy of a regime so cruel, even at a time like this. They dig and dig with their bare hands and whatever they can find, desperately trying to reach their loved ones. It's too late for rescues now. They just want to bury their dead. Mohammed is searching for relatives. Expressionless and numb, he tells us 21 of them, including children. Life here feels like one endless cycle of loss and grief. Most have been displaced time and time again by more than a decade of war. They're now homeless once again. We were sleeping under the trees, but it was so cold we came here, Om Sultan tells us. She begs the international community to send them shelters. We just want a tent, she says. I wish we had died with everyone else so we don't go through this, she tells us. We survived only to live this misery and agony. They have nowhere left to run. Millions are trapped in Idlib. It's the last rebel-held territory in Syria. Mohammed says that she and her family fled Aleppo province and came here. She says they escaped the uh, fighter jets and the airstrikes. And she says we came here and the earthquake followed us. She says death follows Syrians everywhere. 700 people lived in this now flattened residential complex. Only a handful survived. Young men from nearby villages came running to help get people out, she tells us. But what can they do? They tried digging. We heard people screaming, get us out, get us out. Then they went quiet. They all died. Two days later, they pulled a little boy and girl. Their dead bodies were still warm. Others made it. After hours of this painstaking rescue, little Ahmed was pulled out alive. The White Helmets, heroes of Syria's war, did all they can to save as many as they can. They urgently appealed for international support. They didn't send anything. They didn't respond. They let the people here down, and now the people here in Syria really know that now they are forgotten. Alhamdulillah. <laughs> And Dawn, on Sunday, a U.N. aid convoy with 10 trucks crossed into northwestern Syria. And I can tell you from what you've seen in that piece, that aid couldn't get there soon enough. But many Syrians would tell you that this is just too little, too late. And a U.N. official who is at the border, senior official, saying that the Syrian people have the right to feel abandoned, that we have failed the people of Syria once again, and that this failure must be corrected as soon as possible, Don. And for them, sadly, this is just the beginning, Jamana. Thank you very much for bringing us that report. Also this morning, President Biden broke tradition. He turned down a traditional Super Bowl interview with Fox. Was it a missed opportunity? We have the editor-in-chief of Semaphore, Ben Smith, joining us next to discuss. Welcome back to 
to CNN this morning. Coming up, a mental health crisis for teens. Here from a New Jersey father whose daughter took her own life after a video of her being attacked at school was shared on social media. Plus, it was a busy weekend for U.S. fighter jets. Yeah, it was. What we're learning about the undefined objects that were shot down over North America. And this Valentine's Day could be the priciest yet. We're going to break down the numbers straight ahead. All right. Also today, two media titans talking and taking in the big game last night. You see there, that's the head of Fox, Rupert Murdoch, who was spotted at the Super Bowl sitting to his right is Twitter CEO Elon Musk. Not everyone, though, wanted to cozy up to Fox during the Super Bowl. President Biden actually broke with tradition, and he declined to be interviewed on the network's pregame show. Typically, it's a tradition for U.S. presidents to sit down with whoever is hosting and airing the Super Bowl for an interview. So now a question has been raised by some critics of whether or not this was a missed opportunity for the president to potentially reach millions of viewers. So joining us now with his take is Semaphore Editor-in-Chief Ben Smith. That is a good question because it is a lot of people. I think it was 208 million people watched the Super Bowl last year. So how do they weigh a calculus like that of whether or not to go forward with this? Well, I mean, I think, you know, I think it's pretty tactical. I don't think this was necessarily them trying to strike some big blow against Rupert Murdoch. Although if that's a side benefit, like I'm sure they're into it. But (laughs) but they had tried to get the actress. They had tried to sort of go to a subsidiary Fox channel and Fox Soul Soul and, and to have the actress Vivica Fox no relation, in, interview, um, interview the president. She's a supporter of his. When, when, the, when that kind of hit a bump, they discarded the whole thing. Um, but I think actually it's mostly about the timing. If, if you had an interview with Joe Biden, if, if I had an interview with Joe Biden, you'd say, are you running for re-election? What's going on with the balloons? I don't think he, I think he wants to answer both of those questions at sort of the time and place of his choosing. And so, and, and it's, it wasn't yesterday. But he did two interviews last week with Telemundo and PBS. Yeah, that's right. But I think, but... I just think you, I would mostly look at, like, what doesn't he want to talk about? What doesn't um, he want to talk about? And also the Fox ecosystem, where, where they are, especially on truth, right, and facts. And I think that, that I definitely think that played into it. Should he have done it? That's up I to I mean, me. they're not fans of Fox, but I feel like, I do feel like there's this hunger for, you know, Joe Biden to strike a blow against the evil empire. But honestly, like, you know, a couple of his people go on there with some regularity. Pete Buttigieg goes on there. And I think when they see it to their tactical advantage, He'll be there immediately. I'm not sure he sees like reshaping truth in the media ecosystem is like the main thing he's trying to do here. But then you look at when you talk about reshaping truth in the the media ecosystem and you see Elon Musk um, and Rupert Murdoch sitting there together, that gets people to wonder. And for some, it is confirmation that, see, that's why he shouldn't have done the interview with Fox. It's all they're all in collusion out to get Joe Biden and, and liberals and the administration. I mean, it is kind of, you know, Musk has sort of positioned himself as this rebel against traditional media sitting next to, you know, one of the great media moguls of our era who has these vast holdings. Maybe most interesting, you know, Murdoch's daughter, Elizabeth, a prominent media executive sitting next to Musk, who is theoretically currently in the search for a CEO to replace himself, which I don't know. I think she's sort of an interesting candidate for that gig. Were you that surprised, though, to see them sitting next to each other? I really I I don't think I was that surprised. It stood out, but it wasn't like, oh, wow. No, it seems like the most predictable thing in the world. I was kind of surprised that they actually, like, wow, they actually did it because it's a little frightening, I must say. I was kind of surprised when when CNN, when, um, when Fox did the roundup of celebs who were there, like, here's LeBron, here's so-and-so. Musk was not included, which is sort of interesting <laughs> to me. Oh, I'm sure he doesn't like that. Um, so let's, so the, 
of past interviews, let's see, Obama, President Obama did Bill O'Reilly, which was a mm -hmm. very interesting interview. I think Bill O'Reilly got to talk um, more than President Obama did. Do we have some of that? And then he talked, he questioned a lot about Benghazi. This was the reason that people said, because that, uh, that President um, Biden shouldn't do it because it's going to be all about um, his son, Hunter Biden, and so on. But let's listen to the Fox interview, and then we'll talk about it. Your detractors believe that you did not tell the world it was a terror attack because your campaign didn't want that out. Bill, think That's about That's what they believe. And, and, and they believe it because folks like you are telling no, them I'm that. No, I'm not telling them that. I'm asking you whether <laughs> but, you were told it was a terror is, attack. And what I'm and saying you, is that is inaccurate. All right. we, we revealed to the American people exactly what we understood at the time. No tie? So like, do you think it was a missed yeah, opportunity? Before his, a man before his time. A man before his time with no tie here now. But do you think it was a missed opportunity? Um, I think if, if Barack Obama were president, he might have done it and happily kind of sparred with, you know, Brett Baer or somebody like that. I, don't, I think Biden is not as likely to stay on script in a combative interview. Trump also skipped an inter a Super yep. Bowl interview back in 2018 with NBC. So it's not like Biden's the first president it's, to do it. It's yeah, not it's like not. enshrined in the Constitution. That uh, you... Though we should, we should have an amendment, probably. <laughs> yeah, I'll have you introduce that when you're uh, on Capitol Hill. We have that kind of power. Ben yeah. All right, Ben, thank you so much for joining us on all of this this morning. Yes. We love having Thank you. you. Good to see you. All right. Also happening right now, a growing crowd of Israelis are protesting outside parliament against the prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, and his controversial judicial reform plan. We brought you this story in the 6 a.m. hour. This plan aims to give lawmakers substantially more control over the Supreme Court. And you can see these protests are playing out. They are growing. CNN's Hadass Gold is there on the ground. Hadass, uh, are you seeing more people there? What are you seeing this at this hour? Yeah, I mean, Kaylin, I'd have to say that there are tens of thousands of Israelis who came out on the streets of Jerusalem on a Monday, leaving work in order to come out, hoping that the members of parliament will be able to hear their shouts from the street. Today was the day that this judicial reform bill was first introduced into the committee, it passed through the committee, and the protesters here say that they worry that it will destroy the independence of Israel's judiciary. They worry that it will be, some of them even say, the beginning of the end of Israeli democracy. And actually, President Biden and even weighing in yesterday in a comment to the New York Times, calling for the consensus to be built around these reforms, saying that it's important to ensure that people buy into them so that they can be sustained. The Israeli president making a rare primetime address yesterday on television, warning that this sort of division between Israeli society of people who want these reforms, who say that the Supreme Court have too much power, and those that they say the Supreme Court should keep its power to be able to overturn laws, warning that Israel could be on a violent collision course if consensus is not come together. Caitlin. Yeah. Hadass Gold covering one of the largest protests that we have seen outside Israel's parliament in years. Thank you for that update. A New Jersey father is now speaking out after his daughter took her own life days after she was beaten up at school. The fallout and his demands next. More CNN This Morning to come after the break. All right, Jennifer Lopez famously, as we all know, said that love does not cost a thing, but actually in reality it costs $26 billion. Jeez. That is how much money is expected to be spent on Valentine's Day, which, by the way, if you are watching this and you have not gotten something for your significant other, it's tomorrow. 
According to the National Retail Federation, tomorrow could be one of the highest spending years on record. So here to break it all down for us is CNN business correspondent Raul Solomon. Got to do? Got to do? <laughs> I mean, clearly, yeah. what's money got to do with it is the real yes, question. Yes, it is all about money, guys. Good morning. So about half of people say that they are going to celebrate Valentine's Day, which... Love it or hate it is right around the corner. It's tomorrow. So half of people say they're going to celebrate. And on average, that $26 billion that you pointed out, Caitlin, that compares to about $24 billion last year. So that just gives you a sense of how much more. So it's getting more expensive. I just realized that Valentine's Day is tomorrow. So that means you need to get on it, Don. I thought it was like Thursday or, oh my gosh. Yes, get on it. Get on it. So when we look at sort of where the prices are increasing the most, it helps explain why we're spending more to your point, Caitlin. So take a look at this. I mean, you look at flowers, they're up 6%. You look at dining out, that's up 8%. Stationery up 16%. And jewelry, by the way, also up 6%. When you add all of this together, together, it adds to about $192 per person for Valentine's Day. Hmm. Don? Um, He's thinking. I, I was thinking, right like, I, what do I have to ask that, you know, has relates to business, but when do you buy a Valentine's Day gift? Like, mm. how long do you have to date in order to buy a Valentine's Day gift? I mean... I would say as soon as you like someone, you should be giving that person a gift. But... So if you went on a date this weekend or last weekend, should you buy someone a Valentine's I mean, if you want to impress this person, yes, I would think you would. So here's something I should say, though, that does include business in the economy. Let's say you don't want to spend money on a gift, or if you're like Don Lemon and maybe you forgot to buy a gift, (laughs) you can do experiences. More people are doing experiences, according to the National Retail Federation, about... A third of people are now gifting experiences. That's what my guy did. We went to a comedian a comic show this weekend, and that's oh, what he that's, did. That's great. Yeah. Do you buy presents? Well, buy? the thing is, actually, it, people don't just buy for significant others. They buy for right. my sister is buying yeah. for my nephew's classroom, for their teachers, for their friends. Yeah, it's a great point. So if you look at sort of where we're spending more money, it's actually not necessarily on significant others. It's actually on coworkers. It's mm-hmm. on friends. It's on pets. So, Don, I'm almost afraid to yeah. ask if you have oh not even gosh, purchased your significant me. other a gift. Have you purchased your pets their I, Valentine's Day gift? I can't afford your Valentine's co-hosts. Day gifts. Uh, oh, yeah. So that's what I was going to ask you. I was going to say, do you buy? I was going there. Do you buy guys presents? Because I'm wondering what I'm getting tomorrow. You know, Poppy conveniently Ooh. left. <laughs> She scheduled her reporting during this Yeah, week. I have not gotten a gift yet, but there's 24 hours left. You, mean, you, but you, you went to the, the show. I, right, but I was taken to the show, but I She's haven't yet thought haven't. about oh, right, what I'm going right, to get. Right. Did you guys get yours? <gasps> oh. No? I, never, I forgot. I was like, it is tomorrow? I love I'm how scrambling, Caitlin, don't you love shop. how he's deflecting? I know, I know. I'm like, okay. I'm, I'm going to get you guys something. But don't you think it's a thought, even if it's just a little, you know, candy A little thing, something, a little something, something, some something. candy, some chocolate. But as I pointed out, it's going to cost you more this year. Candy yeah. and chocolate yeah, is also up this year. So the little boxes of things. All right. Raul, you've got some planning to do. So <laughs> yes. thank you, though, for breaking down those numbers. It's actually fascinating to look and see how it changes from year to year. Yeah. Everything is more expensive this year, including love. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I received that. All right, on that note, CNN This Morning continues right now. Man, right here. Man, right here. I know you're emotional. Man, one of y'all. 
said the Chiefs were going to take it home this year. Not a single one. Feel that. Feel it. And on top of that, next time the Chiefs say something, put some respect on our name. The best <laughs> Valentine's Day gift that you could get when you're in their shoes, right? Yeah, now they're going to Disneyland for it. Yeah, they are. Uh, good morning, everyone. Poppy is on assignment, and you saw there the Kansas City, Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> elated their big epic comeback victory to win another Super Bowl last night. We're going to show you the must-see moments and the highlights as well. Also, we've got a serious development this morning when it comes to the U.S. military. Now shooting down several mysterious flying objects over the weekend. Was it China? Is it benign? Was it somebody else? We're going to break down what we know, what we don't know, and we'll have expert analysis on the threat. How long has this been going on? We're also going to speak to Canada's defense minister about the object that was shot down over their airspace. And House Intelligence member, com Committee member, Jason, Congressman Jason Crow, is also going to join us. Those interviews just moments away, plus the humanitarian crisis in Turkey and Syria growing with more than 36,000 people now confirmed dead after last week's catastrophic earthquake. We're going to take you live to the disaster zone. But we're going to begin with the U.S. military shooting down three mysterious flying objects in just three days. And now the White House is under growing pressure to answer some basic questions. What are they? Where did they come from? Were these Chinese spy drones or something else? The flying objects were different shapes and sizes. The latest one was shot down yesterday afternoon near Lake Huron in Michigan. We're told it was shaped like an octagon with, with strings hanging off of it. It was only 20,000 feet up in the sky. That is lower than the cruising altitude of a commercial airliner. The other objects shot down over Alaska and Canada on Friday and Saturday were flying twice as high, around 40,000 feet. The suspected Chinese spy balloon that floated across the United States about a week ago was also flying much higher, about 60,000 feet. The Pentagon says it hopes to get some answers by examining the wreckage of the objects. We want to turn now to CNN's chief national security correspondent and anchor of Newsroom, Jim Shudo in Washington, D.C., with more this morning. Good morning to you, sir. Talk to us about these unidentified objects. Where were they, and yeah. what do we know about them, if anything? Well, Don, the U.S. military has been busy in the last 72 hours. As you noted, three objects. This one up here off the north coast of Alaska on Friday, then over Canada on Saturday and Sunday here, Lake Huron. What's the common theme here? They're all coming this direction. That's the direction of the, the jet stream, prevailing winds, etc. That brings China into play, but not only China. Russia is up there as well, and they don't. The fact is we don't have an answer yet as to what country owns them, or even the Pentagon leaves open the possibility it's not a nation state. It could be privately owned and operated. The two big questions are this. Why is the U.S. now detecting more of these and are there more of these? Uh, in answer to the first question, we, we, we know that, and that is that the Pentagon, U.S. military, NORAD, they're looking more closely. They've, in effect, tightened their, their radar, their sensors to look for smaller options, particularly in that space you mentioned, 60,000, 20,000 feet, and they are seeing more. So the big question is, are there more? Is this a part of the globe that China and other countries have been trying to exploit more in recent years? Uh, and that seems to be the suspicion here. You had the NATO Secretary General say this morning that's exactly the suspicion of the U.S. and its allies, that this is a space that not just China but perhaps other countries are using to look down at Earth and gain intelligence. So, Jim, what about how they actually took it down? Because I know we heard from the Pentagon yesterday they, they considered a range of options, maybe yeah. shooting down some of these objects. But in the end, it was actually with missiles. How did they make that decision? 
Well, in part because missiles just been more successful. It's no accident they've used the same kind of missile going back to the balloon off the coast of South Carolina and these. It's hard to shoot at things with bullets at that speed. And keep in mind, the jets firing, uh, the F-22s are going much faster than the target here. So, so it seems, Caitlin, that the missile was just the highest percentage shot uh, that they had for the pilots, given the target in mind here. The, the Chinese are claiming that they have spotted their own unidentified yeah. object. And late yesterday, there were reports that there were, they were preparing to shoot it down. What, can you, yeah. what do you make it, of that claim, Jim? It's a great point, Don. And this is something that I've been concerned about since the beginning, and that is escalation here. So the U.S. has now shot down four objects. We know one of them, the U.S. has identified as being from China. Open question as to whether China is responsible for the others, but, but certainly a suspect here. There's always been the possibility that China shoots back. And China has been saying for a number of days, we reserve the right to do the same. And now, in the last 24 hours, you have China saying, hey, we spotted something here. We may shoot it down. We don't know if this is a U.S. object that they're talking about. What we do know is that U.S. drones, also crude surveillance aircraft, are operating all the time, not over, but very near Chinese airspace. China doesn't like that. So, of course, the question, the danger going forward is, do those two forces come, in, come into conflict at some point? Does China feel it has to take a shot? You start with uncrewed uh, surveillance aircraft, drones, et cetera. But, but this is a, a really dicey time between the U.S. and China. So when we think about escalation, these are the kinds of encounters we have to watch very closely because there are also a lot of crude U.S. surveillance missions about China. I've been on one of them before every single day. Uh, it, it's a dicey time between these two countries. Let's hope it doesn't escalate. Thank you very yeah. much, Jim Shudo, joining us in Washington this morning. Yeah, and joining us for more analysis of what Jim just laid out there is CNN's chief law enforcement and intelligence analyst, John Miller. John, we keep talking about the Pentagon and what the military <laughs> is viewing this as, but it stood out to me yesterday the Pentagon said, actually, it's the FBI running point on this investigation. Why is it the FBI? Well, the FBI is running point on the technical collection of the pieces and the parts and taking them over to the Operational Technology Division, or OTD, um, with a lot of partners from other agencies to look at them and say, what of this technology do we recognize? What of this technology can we say what it's for, what it does, how it acts? Um, it's unlikely that there's going to be a prosecution in a case like this because, as we all understand, China spies on us, Russia spies on us, North Korea spies on us, Iran spies on us, and guess what? We spy back on all of them. Uh, you know, since Francis Gary Powers was shot down in 1960 over Russia in a U.S. U-2 plane, uh, a spy jet run by the, the CIA, I mean, this is the game we play. What's happened here is this readjustment, which is these things are being now detected. Um, they're now being hunted, which is different from something that was happening three weeks ago, and uh, it's being talked about in the open. Yeah. So let's talk about what you would do in, um, you know, in the room when you were trying to figure out what was going on with these. So give us a threat assessment. What is your, are we in, in more danger now? So I'm going to take the threat assessment and bring it down to the bottom. I agree with you on that one, yeah. I mean, these are unarmed things. They have a purpose, and their purpose is to look around and to sniff. They're sniffing for signals. They're sniffing for radar patterns. They want to know when you fly over, where, you know, what are the radar patterns, who's, you know, looking for flying objects. If you're trying to figure out in World War III, you know, where the facilities are, that's generally known, um, you know, what the protection is and the patterns there, 
All of that can be useful to an adversary. It's the same thing we do. None of these things shoot anything. They're not spreading anthrax through the air. And we're probably shooting down stuff that we're later going to find belong to somebody, um, you know, who is not a foreign adversary. There's a lot of stuff flying That's around up there. That's what you think. That, well, like that, who? What I, do you mean is not a foreign I think we're about a week away from a cartoon in the New Yorker of an alien standing on the, on the White House next to his wrecked spaceship saying, what was that all about? I'm, I'm thinking but of I mean, a bounce house. Like, are, what do you mean by that? There are commercial entities that are looking for oil fields. Got it. There's the National Aeronautic and you know, Atmospheric Administration. Um, and not everything up there is working properly or squawking. But... Let's assume everything is a, is a hostile foreign powers surveillance uh, craft. Um, it's still a low threat. What we're creating here is a very expensive proposition, which is we weren't really paying attention before because we know in the past few years there have been 366 documented sightings of either balloons, drones, or radar signatures that they were never able to identify, you know, that NORAD has recorded. They fine-tuned that now to say, Let's go find them, fix them, and if we can't identify them, take them out. So that's why we're seeing four, you know, three in as many days. Yeah, but we're also seeing them take actions that they were not even taking two weeks ago. They were hesitant to shoot that Chinese spy balloon down. And so I do, when you, you make a joke about aliens, but the Pentagon was actually asked this yesterday <laughs> because in the void of information, people are raising questions they did about say what that. exactly it's going to be. This is actually what we heard from uh, the NORAD Commander General. I'll let the intel community and the uh, counterintelligence community figure that out. I haven't ruled out anything uh, at this point. We continue to assess uh, every threat or potential threat unknown that approaches North America uh, with an attempt to identify it. And that, he hasn't ruled anything out yet. And that was in response to the question, you know, could any of this be from outer space? Um, which I think, you know, he was giving himself a wide berth on uh, because, frankly, if they can't say what it is, they can't say what it's not yet. Yeah. How much of this is optics? Like, we, got it, we have to do something. Uh, I would put it at the 85 to 90 percent realm, which is you got three things going on here. One, you have the anomaly and, you know, the, the Chinese incursion. Two, you have all the shouting. So that's on the political side. Three, you have the intelligence community, which hates to work out loud. I mean, everybody wants it all. They want it now, and they want it in detail. And they're like, we're trying to figure this out, and then we're trying to figure out what it means and what our strategy is. And you're not, you're not supposed to get that in real time. Yeah, but it's fair for people to have questions. You know, they oh, can't... When we shoot something down, that's a conversation. Yeah, especially but, this many times and this many days. Yeah, and it's but, a balloon, and people are going to be fascinated by balloons. Like, oh, my gosh, what is it? So. <laughs> all right, John Miller, as we learn more, we will bring you back to analyze all of that. Thank you for bringing Thanks. it down. We also have more questions. We're going to be joined in just moments by Canada's defense minister, Anita Anand. She's going to join us. Also, we're tracking what happened in the Super Bowl. If you missed <laughs> it last night... Catch that moment? That was Philadelphia Eagles head coach Nick Sirianni with tears streaming down his face during the national anthem. Uh, there would be no tears of joy for the city of brotherly love after Super Bowl 57. Kansas City Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes earning MVP honors as he led his team to a 38-35 win. Mahomes became the first black quarterback to win multiple Super Bowl titles as he led his team to a night of epic celebrations. I'm going to Disneyland. 
A nice moment. That was Patrick Mahomes and his dad, Pat Mahomes Sr., embracing after the historic win. WNBA star Brittany Griner making an appearance at the big game with her wife, Sherelle. Um, but they ended up on the losing side as they were rooting for the Eagles. Donna Kelsey was rooting for touchdowns, and she got her wish. <laughs> she was cheering on both her sons, cheering on both of her sons from the stands as she sat between NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell and Damar Hamlin. Philadelphia Eagles defense tackle Fletcher Cox. I got to ask Bomani about this. Turn heads with a pregame outfit. Eagle star showing off with a shiny uh, silver. I think it's kind of lavender suit, and people said it looked like a blouse. We're going to talk about that. Church lady, what was it? Uh, but it was Rihanna who stole the show with a stunning halftime performance. Rihanna's partner, ASAP Rocky, could not contain his excitement. The rapper was caught in the crowd enjoying the show like the rest of us. There he is, partying. And you've got to see this. This is comedian Kevin Hart punching well above his weight class at the Super Bowl. We're here at the Super Bowl. The Eagles could... At any time. At any time you can do it. Oh, my gosh. Joining us, Bomani Jones, a host of Game Theory with Bomani Jones, which is now streaming season two on HBO Max. <laughs> Hello. I have so much to ask you. All right. That's, okay, so uh, was this one of the best? Was this an instant classic? Or? Yeah. No question. Yes? No, 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 oh, no, no. Why no, you no say question. that? The game was close. You got high scoring, but it didn't necessarily feel like bad defense. The story coming in was the two quarterbacks. Both of them played well. And then Mahomes, quite possibly the best quarterback we've ever seen, had one of those performances that we love in sports. This was the gut through it. It wasn't just that you played well. It's that we knew what the struggle was. We knew what he was overcoming. We watched him damn near crying in the second quarter because the pain was so bad. And then to get it done at the end, yeah, we'll talk about this one for a long time. Michael Jordan? What You, might, you yeah. said he's Michael he's Jordan. Jordan. Football. Really? So yeah. good. Yeah. A dude that you recognize five or six years in, you would meet like you go from the, yeah, I don't know. And then you look at it and realize, no, we're not overreacting here. He's that dude. We've never seen anybody this talented ever play quarterback in the NFL. Wow. I'm biased and I don't hide it about Alabama, obviously. And, you know, we do talk a lot about Patrick Mahomes. I think he's once in a generation. But Jalen Arts had a really good game last yes. night. And, and our producer Alex pointed this out to me, which I couldn't believe. First player from Alabama to actually ever score a rushing touchdown in a Super Bowl. Right. And I think for the Alabama fans, the most interesting part with him is we saw in 2017 where they had to bench him at halftime of the national championship game because, quite frankly, he wasn't able to get it done. And that, for people, including me, had been a holdup about how good he could be in the NFL if we saw him at that moment. This is the championship game on this level. There wasn't nobody taking him out of the game on this one. He was excellent. Like, to see him get to this point, win or lose, is a really inspiring, empowering story. What did you, you think about that holding call that... It was old. 
You think it was a hold? Yeah, it was a hold. The question was just whether you felt like calling it. But, but it was a hold. They said that happens almost on every play. Yeah, that's, what they, that's what everybody says when somebody gets called holding. It happens on every play. That's the excuse you use when you get caught. Everybody goes 70 to 55. You got caught. It happens. Well, even he said it was a hold. Yeah, it was he a said hold. He was just hoping it wouldn't get It called. was a hold. They've been calling that hold all year long. It was a hold. Did it change the trajectory of the game? Well, it went from a field goal you could trust that a kicker's going to make to a field goal that would have been a little bit long to have a kick making the Super Bowl and ignore the pressure. He probably still makes the field goal under those circumstances, but that's what you do when you lose. You gotta find something to point at as to why you lost. They lost. I mean, yeah, there is a reason you did lose. Uh, some people thought the actual Super Bowl, though, was Brianna's exactly. halftime performance. Real really? Yeah. I am rather surprised by Would that. You, you didn't like it? In my house, we kind of kind of wish the 49ers might have done halftime because it would look like they wanted to be there. Like, oh. I know the 49ers wanted to be there. I did not feel like I was watching somebody that really, like, I thought the, 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 the dancers, they did an incredible job. Like, everything surrounding did a great job. This was not a, like, supreme superstar Super, super Bowl performance. You are saying, you're voicing with a lot of people saying that she was just sort of, do you, th okay. I'm not saying this so Rihanna, what do you call Rihanna fans? I don't know what they, I, they, they are. They are the Navy, and okay. I'm a little worried about getting in the water. Okay, so then don't. But they said <laughs> it looks like be. she was phoning it in because even some of the lip syncing, like she would be singing and then put the mic down and she would still be yeah. going. The voice oh, Look, be man, going. she is a woman who said during the Kaepernick thing, like, I'm not doing a show for the NFL, right? She had principal issues for why she did not want to do the Super Bowl show. Now, I don't know why she did it this go around, you know, but this relationship with Jay Z, all of that stuff. It just kind of looked like she ain't feel like being there. I mean, she wasn't getting paid. I can't so much blame her for that. I know what it looks like when I don't get paid to do yeah. stuff. Okay, when someone at this table performs pregnant at the Super Bowl halftime show, I, then I think we can talk. I don't think anyone. Can I'm not criticizing. Oh no, 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 no! I'm not criticizing her pregnancy. Right? No, no, if she, yes, like, if, if that was the reason that she didn't feel like doing it, that's the reason. But it doesn't change the fact that it didn't. It, this was not a great halftime show. We don't have to lie. Okay, as someone who has gotten scrutiny for his wardrobe, but I got to say, what Fletcher Jones, Fletcher Cox. Oh. <laughs> Did you, what was that? I don't have an answer for that. I need to call my nieces who went to high school with him <laughs> in uh, Yazoo City, Mississippi. I don't, like, what I'm wondering as I look at that top is what does it look like at the shoulders? Like, does this just go all the way around? Like, is this really just a tube top? I don't know how he pulled that off, but the thing is, you as big as that boy, I mean, you're welcome to go tell him to take it off. <laughs> I, no, I'm not saying, I'm just wondering because my phone started blowing up saying, what is Fletcher? He looks yes. like my aunt's. <laughs> or my grandma, the church lady on Sunday, if you put a purple hat on him. I'm not saying Fletcher. That's what people are saying. I'm yeah. not saying that. It's not me. I'll say this. If anybody's saying they uh, church lady grandmama look like Fletcher Cox, I got a lot of questions. <laughs> um, like, like, I don't know what the joke's on when you say that. I don't feel like it's all Fletcher Cox. I read one thing that says, why is Fletcher out here dressing like Kamala Harris? <laughs> I know. I saw that. I saw that. Wait till Don shows up tomorrow wearing the same thing. I'm going to wear the same outfit with a chain. We wore it better. By the Money. way, lavender is the new color for the spring. Watch it. Good lavender suits for dudes, too. We'll all be wearing it. Good to know. Okay, we'll be tracking that. Thank you, Bamani. Thank you. Thank you. you. Season two of Game Theory with Bamani Jones, if you did not get enough of him just now, is now streaming on HBO Max. Never enough. Also this morning, in a serious development, we're tracking the despair and frustration that many people are feeling in Turkey this morning. Over the weekend, we are learning more about how the death toll has only continued to grow. Some people, though, are still being pulled alive from the rubble, but most of them still waiting for help. Sarah Seidner is on the ground. It is an incredible live shot. We're going to bring it to you live in a moment. Our houses were demolished. There was no building left. Whole cities were flattened. Everything disappeared. 
We can feed ourselves here, but no one knows how we're going to live. It's freezing and we will be frozen to death here. If we sit inside the tent, we will freeze. Those are the stories that we are hearing from some of the survivors about a week after the 7.8 magnitude earthquake leveled parts of Syria and Turkey, leaving so many people in despair with major questions now about what to do. More than 36,000 people have died and the toll is continuing to rise as aid and rescue efforts are underway. Here, a nine-year-old boy was pulled from the ruins of a collapsed building on Sunday. This father and daughter were rescued out of the rubble still alive in Turkey. All of this is coming as criticism and anger is building towards the government and President Erdogan of their handling of the crisis, even Erdogan acknowledging that the government's initial response was slow. CNN's Sarah Snyder is live in southern Turkey. Sarah, I know we were talking earlier, the rescue efforts were very much underway, the recovery efforts of all of this debris that you're seeing behind us. And you said it was even hard to breathe because there's so much smoke in the air. What are you hearing from people? You know, the moment that we got on the ground, just within moments of stopping and getting out of the car, we were approached uh, by a woman who was begging us to help her find her husband. The sorrow is so palpable here. That is what you notice first. Then you see the amount of destruction and it really is hard to get your mind around it. <laughs> 38-year-old Kudret Kuchibelar desperately pleads with volunteer rescuers to search for her husband, Badir. He's buried, she says, in their corner apartment, which is somewhere under this rubble. They try to console her, but this mother of twins wants action, not words. There is nobody out there. It's been six days. I'm waiting here with my twins standing in the cold. She says she's been asking anyone who will listen to dig her husband out. But for six days, she says officials kept telling her they needed permission from the government to start on her building. I want my husband back, even if he's not alive. She may have accepted his death, but can't go on without seeing her husband's body removed from this hellscape. My life, my blood, my everything, my best friend in life. He left me with my twins here alone. While she waits for the realities of her husband's death, here in this area where you see enormous piles of rubble, these are different buildings, but you can't really distinguish them because there's just so much destruction. There have been signs of life. A child was found here alive after a week in the rubble. <laughs> Nurses comfort the girl, who they think is three or four years old. She's dehydrated and in shock, but alive. <laughs> This is the moment she was rescued. Her exhausted little body pulled from under the seemingly endless mountains of rubble in Hatay. She was rushed to the makeshift hospital set up in the parking lot of the actual hospital that was evacuated after the earthquake. When she first arrived, as a mother, I felt that she was like my own daughter, this nurse says. 
She's cracking up the staff. She's talking. When we walked in, the toddler had managed to make the nurses laugh, relieved she could talk a bit. What is it that she said that made you all laugh? She made all the nurses laugh. Anne. Mama, Anne. The word that made all the nurses laugh was mama, and I'm hungry, I want to eat something. What did that do to your heart when she said mama? I felt a great pulse in my heart, she says. No one knew her name, and when they asked, she said dada. It turns out this toddler does not speak Turkish. She speaks Arabic. Rescuers later tell us she's Syrian. Here we go. Sarah, I know you've been reporting on her. Do we know anything else about the little girl? You know, we went to the area where they pulled her out and there was no one left. What we do know is perhaps what's going to happen is when she is fully treated, she's going to find out that they have not yet been able to find either of her parents. At this point in time, we are now in the eighth day. They do not think that they have survived. So this little girl may indeed become an orphan after all that she has been through. Caitlin. And, and just the thought that she's not the only one. There are so many other children living through that same thing. Sarah Seidner, you're live in southern Turkey. Thank you for being there this morning. It's just such an awful situation. In the meantime, this, our coverage of the unidentified objects shot down over the U.S. and Canada continues. We're going to be joined by Canada's Minister of National Defense, Anita Anon, and a member of the House Intelligence Committee, Congressman Jason Crow of Colorado. More CNN This Morning to come after the break. So U.S. military jets have shot down four objects flying through North American airspace in the past 10 days. The latest was over northern Michigan. That was on Sunday. It was shot down near Lake Huron. And you're looking at now, this is new video shot uh, just into CNN. And it may be hard to see, but it shows fighter jets flying over Michigan. And on Sunday, U.S. jets took down an object that was being tracked over northern Canada. Biden administration has been cautious describing the unidentified object over Canada, but at least two high-ranking officials have made reference to balloons as well as Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. Listen to this. You can be sure that if any, any uh, American interests or people are at risk, they'll take appropriate action. Until they get that comprehensive analysis, however, we have to look at each balloon individually were these and see what Friday they're and Saturday night? They believe they were, yes, uh, but much smaller than the uh, than the one, the first one. Hey, that was Chuck Schumer there, but joining us now, Canada's Minister of National Defense, Anita Anand. She met with our counter, her counterpart, I should say, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin at the Pentagon on Friday, only a day before the object over Canada was shot down. We're so glad that you could join us this morning. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Since your meeting, have you spoken to our Secretary of Defense? Yes, I have. We are in regular contact. I spoke with him not only on Friday in Washington, D.C., but also on Saturday as we discussed the cylindrical object that was over Yukon territory, which NORAD shot down. And uh, we are now moving to obtain the debris and examine it. 
Okay, so then, and you, can you share with us anything from your conversations about what this is? You said it's cylindrical. Uh, you, it was similar to the Chinese spy balloon shot down off of South Carolina, but smaller. Correct me if any of my information is wrong. What did you learn and what did you discuss that you can share with us in your conversations since then? Well, perhaps the most important thing is that we continued to reiterate the importance of our shared cooperation and collaboration relating to the defense of our two countries. Uh, we both continued to stress the importance of NORAD. And indeed, it was NORAD command that ensured that the object over the Yukon territory was shot down. And so our work as partners and allies continues, um, but it is wonderful to have that strong working relationship with Secretary Austin, not only on this issue, but of course on NORAD modernization, as well as Ukraine. Let me just ask you, Another question here. You you said smaller than the Chinese balloon, but at what size was this one? Well, of course, uh, we moved very closely and carefully to make sure that that item was out of the air for the protection of the Canadian population. And at this point, we are not able to speculate on the precise parameters of the object. From the visual that we received, it does appear that the object was cylindrical in nature and smaller than the object that was shot down over the United States Eastern coast. But it would be imprudent for me to speculate further at this time until we gather the debris and until we do the analysis. The FBI is involved in that analysis as is the RCMP here in Canada. Will you, do you plan on sharing any of the video or the images from the object? We do plan to make sure that we are being fully transparent with the Canadian population and more broadly, we're working with NORAD to make sure that we do a fulsome analysis. We have a CP140 Aurora trying to make sure that we are locating the debris. It's in a very remote uh, part of Canada in the Yukon Territory. The terrain is very rugged. Uh, so the insurance that we need to locate that debris is still ongoing. So when, th when this happens, everyone thinks China. We don't know that for sure yet, unless you do. You can correct me if, if I'm wrong, if you know. But so do, do you know where this object shot down over Canada, shot down in Canada, where it's from? Any indications that it is China? We are still working to make sure that we have information before we state factually any of those types of points. Um, my modus operandi is to make sure that we have the debris analyzed before we are making uh, further statements of fact. And it would be imprudent for me to speculate, therefore, at this time. But I will say that we will leave no stone unturned in the analysis. We will continue to work with our American counterparts through NORAD, and we will make sure we have full information before we come forward and release it. Before I let you go, when do you plan on releasing that information and when the information about who you think it is and also any images of what you shot down? 
we are still in the process of locating the debris and we will move to locate it and analyze it. We know that it was shot down over central Yukon. We have teams on the ground and in the air making sure that we are able to locate and analyze that debris. As I said, the RCMP, the FBI, NORAD, we are all on the same page about the need to do this as expeditiously as as possible. Canadian Minister of National Defense, Anita Anand, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Take care. Caitlin. And for more on this, on the American side of this, we have Democratic Congressman Jason Crow joining us this morning. He is a member of the House Intelligence Committee and previously served as a U.S. Army Ranger in Afghanistan. Good morning, Congressman. My first question for you is what have you heard from the administration about what's happened here? Hi. Well, good morning. Uh, well, Caitlin, first of all, this is not a new issue. This is an issue that the House Intelligence Committee and the Department of Defense and administrations have actually been tracking for many years. And, and there's kind of three different categories of what we call UAPs, unidentified aerial phenomenon. First are radar anomalies. These are things that pop up in the radar and are later determined not to be actual objects. The second are objects that are later identified as errant weather balloons or maybe uh, flocks of birds or something. Then the third are kind of what we're dealing with right now, and that is uh, objects that have been identified uh, visually on radar as well, but are, are, are of an unknown origin, and we're not really sure what they are. Uh, so what's happening now is we're actually looking for these with extra vigilance. We're looking for them in different ways. We're starting to see them in different ways. And uh, President Biden has now made the decision uh, that we are going to not allow those over U.S. territory. We're going to defend the sovereignty of our airspace, so to speak, and, and we're now shooting them down. So that's kind of the change. But the, the Intel Committee actually declassified a report last year, and we mm -hmm. held an open hearing where we talked about uh, this issue. What is new, though, is that we are shooting them down. The United States is moving quickly, as they did over the weekend. Is it clear to you what the threshold is for shooting these objects down? Well, the threshold appears to be, and as is described to me, is uh, within U.S. airspace or Canadian airspace. We have a joint agreement with the Canadians, as Minister Anand uh, just described, that we're going to protect uh, the northern uh, aerospace defense zone, uh, NORAD. Uh, and uh, if something comes into uh, our sovereign territory or U.S. sovereign territory, it's unidentifiable and it poses a threat to commercial uh, air travel, uh, that we're going to shoot it down. Uh, that's the, the current criteria, and that's obviously happened in four different instances over the last week, uh, including the most recent one over Lake Huron. Uh, and uh, as Minister Anand, as the Department of Defense has explained to me, uh, we actually don't know what this object is. It's smaller, it's cylindrical in shape, uh, and, and crews are recovering uh, the, the wreckage from this uh, object and going to make that assessment. What did the Pentagon tell you about where they thought these these objects might be coming from? That's just unknown. Uh, I, I, if they know about it, they're certainly not telling me at this point. Uh, you know, I haven't been back in Washington for the last few days, so I haven't been able to receive uh, a, uh, um, a classified briefing on this issue. Um, I, I don't believe uh, that they know uh, what the origin is yet. They obviously have to recover the wreckage itself and look at uh, how it's manufactured, what kind of materials are used in it to make that determination. But right now, uh, nothing's being said. That is a question, though. When, when nothing is being said, it kind of fuels panic and speculation about what it is from people who are seeing the U.S. military fighter jets being scrambled to shoot these down. Do you think the Biden administration is being forthcoming enough about what they do or do not know about these objects? I do think that they are. I mean, for, first of all, 
um, these are not posing a threat uh, to the United States or to Americans. You know, these are benign objects uh, from what we can tell. Uh, and, and again, this is not a new phenomenon either. We've had UAPs uh, come in within the United States for years now, uh, but it's, this is a different dynamic now, and we're deciding to take these objects down. So uh, really no indication of any threat to Americans here. But, uh, you know, if they're, if they're going to you know, guess or put out information, that's not helpful either. It's better to actually get full information, take time, uh, make sure that it's accurate, that it's reliable, uh, that they know what they're talking about, rather than uh, do conjecture or guesswork. That actually isn't helpful to anybody. Okay, it's good to hear you say that the current assessment is that they are benign objects. That's newsworthy. Congressman, before you go, I know you are going to Brussels in a few days. We just heard from the Secretary General of NATO. He said they are concerned that the war in Ukraine is consuming an enormous amount of ammunition and depleting allies' stockpiles. Is it depleting the U.S. stockpile of ammunition based on what you know? Well, we certainly are using stuff from our own stockpile. We, we've been actually providing stuff to Ukraine using what's called presidential drawdown authority. That means we're taking stuff that already exists and we're shipping it directly to Ukraine. And the reason why we're doing that is because they need it now. The Ukrainians need it now. We can't spend years or months producing this stuff. We have to get it immediately to the battlefield, which is actually the right answer. So really what this becomes is our ability to replenish and restockpile that, uh, working with the manufacturers, which we're working to, to do. Uh, but we have 54 countries now, part of the Ukraine Defense Contact Group, who are coming to the aid of Ukraine. It's just not the United States. 54 countries that are providing aid uh, and material and equipment of, of various sorts. Uh, this is an international coalition that the United States is leading uh, to help Ukraine fight and win. All right, Congressman Jason Crow, I know you've got a busy travel schedule this week. Thank you for, for joining us to answer those very important questions. Thank you. And straight ahead here on CNN This Morning, Harry Enten is here to break down the winners and the losers of last night's Super Bowl ad blitz. Super Bowl ad blitz. We'll explain why this morning's number is nine. I can erase my exes? This Google Pixel ad was the best Super Bowl commercial. That's according to Northwestern University's Kellogg Marketing Club, the so-called Kellogg Bowl grade Super Bowl ads based on how effective they were. CNN senior data reporter Harry Inton is here with this morning's number. So why was this one so good? Every, all the things that they took out, I like them. I like them too, <laughs> but you know, we're not professionals. We're not people like, you know, who study ads for a living. I guess we're just common day folk, right? So let's take a look. This morning's number is, it is nine. So that is essentially the number of the 50 ads that were graded by the Kellogg Marketing Club. Nine of them received an A grade, all right? Nine of 50. So there was not massive grade inflation, perhaps like there is at my alma mater. Let's sort of get into what some of those top, uh, top graded examples were. You mentioned the Google Pixel. How about that T-Mobile Bradley Cooper ad? Doritos with Jack Harlow. The key of the dad searches for Blinky. So these were some of the top examples, at least according to those who study ads for a living. So this is what the professionals thought were the best ads. But what did people, regular people, were they Googling? What did people think was the best? Right. Product? So uh, interestingly enough, the USA Today ad meter, the top ad. So the USA Today has been doing this for a while. And what they had, number one was the farmer's dog forever ad. 
Also, number two, NFL flag football, run with it, which was also one of the top ads searched on Google. So I think that was a very popular ad. The Amazon Saving Sawyer and the Duncan Ben Affleck ad. I love that one where he was working the drive-thru at the Duncan. You know which one I liked. You liked it, too. The farmer's dog. Of course. Yeah. You know I'm a dog guy. Yeah. Anything with dogs. They could, they could sell murder and I, with dogs, and I would love that. Everybody ad. in the room, when they saw that ad, went, oh. Yeah. Let, let, let's take a look, though. Obviously, some of the good ads. How about some of those bad ads? So let's go back to that Kellogg school, right? What were some of the poorly graded ads, the ones that were given a degrade? Mm-hmm. The M&M's ad with Maya mm-hmm. Rudolph, the Remy Martin ad, the Elf Cosmetic, the Downey. This one in particular I did not like. Okay, but I disagree with this one because we, as I know Donna agrees with me, Jennifer Coolidge can do no wrong. And I thought that the Jennifer Coolidge ad was kind of funny. Uh, that was uh, there, M&M's there, one. There's, there's Maya Rudolph. And, and here's the thing that's so interesting to me. You know, before we notice the difference between what some of the professionals were giving versus what some of the common folk were thinking. But take a look here. Some of the worst ads. The YouTube balloon baby was really bad. But also, look here. The M&M's ad was rated bad by folks, and the Remy Martin ad was was rated bad the by Remy folks. The Remy Martin ad was a little jolting for people because they thought it was a, kind of a different look yeah. for Serena. And that alcohol, they just thought it was off-brand. I, I think it was off-brand. I was confused by the ad, Don. That was honestly what happened with me. <laughs> Thank you, right. Harry. Thank Harry. you. Thank you. Appreciate it. This morning's number nine. One of the MVPs of last night's game, the Super Bowl Super Mom. Donna Kelsey being there for both her sons, a touching moments. That's next. Aw. Aw. It is the morning after the Kelsey Bowl. (laughs) I love that. It's a good name for it. And we know Donna Kelsey is extremely proud of both of her sons. She was spotted running up to hug Travis of the Kansas City Chiefs who was all smiles, a moment that they won the Super Bowl. And then she found her son Jason on the Philadelphia Eagles side and consoled him on the field after the tough loss. Uh, Poppy Hollow spoke with Donna Kelsey last week after about, excuse me, I should say, about how she would handle the situation knowing one of her sons was going to be disappointed. And I will go to the post-game hotel after the ceremony and I'll give my son a huge hug and a kiss because there's nothing that I could say that will, you know, mean anything at that point. He's going to be a broken, you know, person. So, you know, he'll be happy for his brother. So the Kelsey brothers also shared a hug on the field. There it is right there. Jason telling Travis to go celebrate and each saying, I love you to the other. I love that mom. Yeah. She's so adorable, and I'm so glad they got to have that moment for their so family. So it was a win for, you know, it was a yeah. win for everyone. They both played the Super Bowl, yeah. so yeah. it's still pretty cool. Yeah. All right, also this morning, an attorney for former President Trump says the search for classified documents at his properties is now over, but he's blaming a White House procedure for documents still being in there. That's ahead. All right, as you start your day, there are stories that are top of mind. So why don't we head over to the CNN newsroom in the old satellite here. And uh, <laughs> Jim Shudo and Erica Hill both join us. First of all, everybody's talking. A couple things. Super Bowl, that's top of mind, right? Uh, no. And the these objects that are over the sky. Which one do you want to talk about first, guys? Yeah, we, we are brought to you by satellite, not by balloon, just, just so you know. Uh, <laughs> important we, clarification. Important. <laughs> Listen. you guys getting shot down. The administration has to answer some questions here, right? Because it's happening with such alarming frequency now, 
and there's not a lot of clarity as to who exactly is sending these. Are they a threat? Do you have to shoot down everyone? I mean, is that the new world we're in? I mean, that, that's a pretty, it's pretty dicey, it's a dicey time, between, particularly between the U.S. and China. Yeah. It isn't, especially while you're waiting. They're still waiting to recover some of what was shot down. That only yeah. ups the ante in terms of questions, and people want answers, understandably. Yeah. Did your yeah. team win? I know Rihanna won, Erica, and that's who Ooh. you were rooting for. I was team Jim. Rihanna, yes, so we yeah. won, yeah. Mm-hmm. Listen, Jim. I like the halftime show. I'm just saying, my team was telling me the halftime show was, I was like, Rihanna's floating above the field like 100 <laughs> feet. That, to me, is cool. <laughs> yeah. That's scary. Yeah, speaking of flying objects, she looks great, though. Um, all right, guys, we know you got a busy show ahead of you, so uh, we'll let you take it from here. Enjoy your Thanks, day. Donna, See you have well. a good day, we'll guys. That's it for this episode of CNN This Morning. You can check out our lineup of podcasts and showcasts at cnn.com slash audio or in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.